Section 19 of Loss of the Sultana by Chester D. Berry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 19. James K. Brady. I was born near Highland, Marion County, Ohio, September 23, 1846, and I lived on a farm until 1861, when my father and his entire family were taken sick with typhoid fever. My father died, and I lay seventy-eight days before I was able to leave my bed. In the fall of 1862, the day before I was sixteen, September 22nd, I enlisted in Company B, 64th Regiment Ohio Volunteer Infantry, and was in every battle with my regiment from that time on until the last battle of Franklin, Tennessee. In front of Atlanta, Georgia, I received a scalp wound in the back part of my head. At Franklin, Tennessee, I received a flesh wound in the right hip, and with five others of my company was taken prisoner November 30, 1864. Marched the next day to Columbia, Tennessee, and after being held there a few days, we were marched with about 1,800 or 1,900 other prisoners to Corinth, Mississippi, where we were confined for a few days in a stockade. When we reached this we were in terrible condition, having marched several hundred miles over very bad roads in the winter season, with our clothing worn out and nothing much to eat, some barefooted, others sick. We were shipped from here to the place which the boys called Hell Upon Earth, the prison pen of Andersonville. On March 26, 1865, I, with several hundred others, was taken out of prison, and after a long journey, part of the way by rail and the rest on foot, we reached Big Black River and went in camp near Vicksburg, Mississippi. About the 23rd or 24th of April, I, with a lot of paroled prisoners, was loaded aboard the ill-fated steamer Sultana, at Vicksburg, Mississippi. Our condition on this boat was more like a lot of hogs than men. With the other passengers and crew, there were about 2,100 in all, besides a freight cargo, making in all more than double the carrying capacity of the boat. We were headed up the river for Cairo, Illinois. The boat landed at Memphis, Tennessee, on the evening of April 26th, where a part of the freight was unloaded. Sometime after we steamed up the river, making a landing to take on coal. My friend, David Edelman, and I went up to the hurricane deck and made our bed, as we were crowded too much below, and laid down. That was the last that I knew until the explosion, which occurred about two o'clock a.m., at which time I was suddenly awakened to my senses, as the fire was all over me, and my friend was trying to brush it off. It had already burned most of the hair off from the top of my head. We finally got the fire out, and began looking around for some means of saving ourselves, for we could see that the boat was on fire. We could see nothing to get, so we went to the front end of the hurricane deck, and took hold of some ropes, and went down to the bow of the boat, and, oh, what a sight met our gaze! 
There were some killed in the explosion lying in the bottom of the boat, being trampled upon, while some were crying and praying. Many were cursing while others were singing. That sight I shall never forget. I often see it in my sleep and wake with a start. After looking for something to save ourselves with in vain, we had about given ourselves up as lost, when all at once we saw a crowd with something which proved to be the gangplank. As this seemed to be our last chance, my friend and I both grabbed hold of it, just as it was going over the side of the boat, and we all went down together. I think not less than forty or fifty men had hold of that plank, at least there were as many as could crowd around it when it went into the water, and it was very heavy. I ran beside it. It struck the water end first, and I thought it would never stop going down, but it finally did, and slowly arose to the surface. I think there were about fifteen or sixteen of us that had stuck to the plank. But now a new danger had seized me, as someone grabbed me by the right foot, and it seemed as though it was in a vice. Try as I would, I could not shake him off. I gripped the plank with all the strength that I had, and then I got my left foot between his hand and my foot, and while holding on to the plank with both hands, I pried him loose with my left foot, he taking my sock along with him, but he is welcome to the sock. He sank out of sight, and I saw him no more. By this time the plank had been turned over, and we lost some more of our passengers. I looked back and saw that there were two men on the plank behind me. How many were in front of me at this time, I could not tell, but I knew that my friend was there, as every little while he would call out some encouraging word to me to keep up my spirits. The two men on the plank behind me would crawl up on top of it and finally upset it again, and one of them lost his grip and went down to rise no more. Then the other fellow seemed to get crazy, for he not only climbed upon the plank behind me, but reached over and tried to grab me by the shoulder. Just as his fingers were touching my shoulder, I dropped under the water and he went right over me into the river, like a big frog, turning the plank over with the force of his plunge, but I came up on the other side of the plank, grabbing it with my left hand. I never saw that man again. I was now getting very tired, in my weak state, as I only weighed ninety-six pounds when I came out of prison. I weighed a hundred and fifty-four pounds the day before I was taken prisoner. I was almost ready to give up when I heard my friend Edelman say, "'Now, boys, this plank is able to carry fifteen or twenty men if properly handled.' and there are but five or six of us. Now I will steady the plank while the rest of you get on and lie flat. Then I will get on. We all got on and laid flat down and paddled with our hands. It was not long after this that one of the men in front said that he could see a house and for us to paddle on the left side. We did as we were told and soon had our plank alongside of the building, which proved to be a log stable, with an old set of harness hanging up in it. 
the stable was standing on the levee of the river but as the river was all overflowed there was not much of the stable out of the water when it got light enough to count up we found there were twenty-three of us on the stable and as far as the eye could see upon every old snag and every little piece of drift big enough you would see a man that sight i never will forget i can see it now as i pen these lines a little after daylight a man swam out about three rods above us and got on some drift the sight i hope i may never see again for he was scalded almost to pieces and he said boys it is going to kill me and he laid down and died i don't think he lived three minutes after he got out of the water then there was a nice large mule swam out to us just after daylight he had a piece of railing twelve or fourteen feet long tied to his halter strap one of the boys got down and unfastened it what became of the mule i do not know as he was there in the water the last i saw of him with just his back neck and head out of the water a little after sunrise we could see the smoke of a steamer coming up the river and in due time she came up to where we were the steamer came as close as she dared to and sent out little boats to take us in i had now become so stiff that i could not move and my friend with some of the boat's crew carried me down into the little boat and took me over to the large one which proved to be the jenny lind there was a doctor on board and he gave us something to make us throw up the water but i did not throw any up they carried me in the cabin and that was the last i knew until about four o'clock in the afternoon when i awoke there was one of the sisters of charity trying to pour a hot sling down my throat with a teaspoon for i found that i was in a hospital at memphis tennessee after waking up it was not long until i opened my mouth and i think there was about a gallon of water ran out of it i wanted to go out and see if the other boys were safe they would not allow me to go for they said i was too weak but the next afternoon they let me go and i found three of my companions alive some of them badly hurt the other two were either drowned or killed in the explosion the next day we took a steamer for cairo illinois arriving there just after dark most of the boys went to the barracks as they were afraid they would get left but i with a few others stopped at the soldiers home where we received the finest of treatment a good supper something we had not had for three long years and a nice bed it was not long before i was sound asleep and i knew no more until i got a gentle shake from one of the attendants that awoke me but at the same time he said don't be in any hurry you have plenty of time i got up feeling greatly refreshed dressed and washed myself and sat down to a breakfast that was good enough for a king after breakfast one of the men went to the train with us getting there just five minutes before leaving time then we started for mattoon illinois 
arriving there about eleven o'clock, and oh, what a sight we witnessed! The platform at the depot was crowded, from one end to the other, with the citizens of Mattoon and surrounding country, with baskets filled to overflowing with everything you could think of to eat. As fast as a basket was empty, it was refilled, and after we had eaten all we could, it seemed as though the baskets hadn't been touched. Let me say that during my entire term of service, I never received such treatment as while in the state of Illinois. After we had finished eating, the citizens wanted us to go home with them and stay until evening, for we could not get a train before that time. In the afternoon, it was learned that we could not get away until one o'clock that night. The people of the town called a meeting in a new hotel, which was not completed inside yet. That evening, the local speakers of the town made several patriotic speeches to us, but what was the nicest thing of all, there were about forty ladies, dressed in red, white, and blue, that sang several patriotic songs. Among the rest they sang, Welcome home, dear brothers, and it seemed that we were. Ever since that time I have had a warm place in my heart for the people of Mattoon and surrounding country, also for the people of Cairo, Illinois. But all things have an end, and so at one o'clock we started for Columbus, the capital of the great and glorious old state of Ohio. In due time we arrived. But, oh, what a change! Instead of being treated like lords, as we were in Illinois, we were treated more like so many dogs than human beings. Myself and a few others could not endure this kind of treatment, so we took French leave and went home. In about two weeks I received notice to come to Columbus and get discharged. We were discharged by order of special telegram from the War Department, without any descriptive list. I came home and went around to see my friends and neighbors, but when I went around it seemed as though everybody was gone or dead. Being in so much company for three years, I became restless, packed my kit, and went to Missouri. It was a little more lively there as every man I met had a large navy revolver strapped to him. It made no difference whether he was a banker, dry-goods man, or a farmer. It was all the same. The revolver was there. I remained there eighteen months, and was never treated better by any people anywhere, and I never carried a weapon of any kind. Then I came home, married, and went to farming. I didn't like that. Then I went into the timber business, getting out spiles and stave bolts. I finally quit that and went into the retail grocery business. I followed that for about nine years, but at the present time I am not doing much of anything. My post office address is Morrell, Ohio. End of section 19